people are saying, oh my God, finally, I wish you'd done this before. And I said, I know, but the, you know, the opportunity never presented itself. And yeah, it's, it's, I just love it. What's involved for you? Do you have to plan the recipe and do you photograph it or do you put any video content in there? Is it stills? How does it work? Cooking new stuff almost every single day during the week. Sometimes my wife and kids think, can we not just have a pizza? I'm like, no, sorry, we've got to cook. Uh, you know, this Irish stew needs done tonight and tomorrow we're off to Lebanon to do something. I've been cooking a chili con carne that is on the BBC Good Food Guide. And when I ask my tablet in the kitchen to look up the recipe, it's always finding it. It's always ranked at the top. If you get a good YouTube video, you're going to get forever traffic. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. Uh, this is episode 1047. And we're again speaking with Scott Bapti. It's been a little while since our last episode, Scott I think so. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's a good things come to those who wait. So hopefully this will be, this will be worth it for the for the uh, the listeners. I was looking at the picture of you from 2015 when we recorded episode 397, and you don't look that different. Whatever you're eating is working out well for you. Of course, we were talking back then about eating your way to success, about having good quality food, and I've certainly been on my own journey in that last eight or nine years. But it seems like things are working out well for you too. Well, this is just an AI filter. I'm actually much grayer and more wrinkled than this. This is all this is all AI. It's actually kind of sad, but I Zoom now has those sort of make yourself look nicer filters. And I think we're heading down a slippery slope where people they're not being real, right? For me, if if there's no filter to adjust the way that I look, all jokes aside, I mean ultimately my opinion of myself is the most important thing, firstly, but secondly if I look in a mirror that doesn't have a gadget to make me look nicer than I really am, I can be more honest about my appearance. And I've actually, uh, since we last recorded, I've been down that journey of food and fitness and, and strength training. And I'm in really good shape now, probably even compared to last time we podcasted. And that's because I got real. And I, I think we need more real in our life in general. And I think what you're doing, helping educate people with food, is good, but you're definitely taking advantage of technology now. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how you've morphed your business over the years and how you're taking advantage of the app in particular to get to more people and to help them on their journey. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you said in terms of being real with nutrition in particular, there's so many fads and crazes and you know, viral things you see on TikTok and just bad advice. And most of the time you need to strip it all back to the absolute basics and do what works. And for me, it's showing people how to eat good quality, normal food without having to go to expensive health food shops or just buy things online or cook one thing for them and one thing for the kids. It's just how can we use fresh, wholesome ingredients to cook up food that everyone will eat? Great. So the first line of defense for me is to not consume TikTok. I found that very beneficial yeah. <laughs> uh, for my health. But, but secondly, you're right. A lot of people looking for that quick fix, the easy hack or the whatever. And I, I have noticed there's people tampering with food more and more and more processed food. And people seem to be getting fatter and unhealthier and sicker than ever, even though we supposedly have more access to information. But we now have just food on demand and people probably working more as well and cutting some corners in meal preparation and so forth. It sounds like... Back last time we spoke, you were helping individuals with weight loss and performance athletes. And over time, you've moved through 
and change the business model. I'm interested in what those changes are to get to where you're at now. So can we just wind the clock back a little bit. How are you as a food and uh, fitness expert delivering your knowledge half a decade ago? Let's say wind back like five years. What did that look like back then? Yeah, so originally a lot of our business was focused on, like you said, helping people with weight loss or building muscle or sports performance and so on. And we used to do individual one-on-one meal plans. And then we did some group coaching programs. And having listened to your stuff and been in your community, I launched um, a membership group uh, for weight loss, but it didn't work for various reasons. Um, I think I maybe priced it too high initially. I think there were some other issues with it. And yeah, it didn't work. I tried it, and but I knew that at some point I wanted to have a working subscription model. We'll come to that when we reach the app. But yeah, back in the day, it was more uh, with weight loss and physique and so on. But one of the main things when we were helping people out with these plans were the recipes and we'd create some recipes for them and they actually proved to be really popular. And lots of people were saying that that was the best part about the plan was the, the recipes we were giving them. So then I wrote a digital recipe book. It was a PDF called the High Protein Handbook. And for people who are in this space having information like the calories and the macros being the protein, carbohydrates and fat on the recipes, that was quite important for them. So we gave them that. I also popped a barcode on it too, so you could scan it into food trackers. So they're quite unique in that sense because I still don't really see any barcodes on recipes. That's quite a new thing. I don't know why more people don't do it. Well, as someone who's using MyFitnessPal, I do love a good barcode. It makes my life easier. And also protein is right on my agenda. It's like you just hit all the like ding, 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 like what <laughs> the foods with protein and I can scan it into the app. That's really been a huge key to progress for me. But isn't that interesting if you make things easier for people to consume and you think about the way they're going to consume it so that usability is such an important factor. Yeah, agreed. And that is it where a lot of people would have previously or when they don't use my recipes and they are tracking calories or macros they have to enter everything themselves and there's the issue with is the data correct and you know they forget bits whereas if it's just there and you remove any friction and sort of low barrier to entry beep scan it boom it goes straight into the food diary and it's just much easier for them to do and especially if the goal is weight loss for example then you have to try and make it as easy as possible for people to stick to it because the moment there is a little bit of friction or you go off the bandwagon, then it's very easy to just give up completely. So we want to try and stop that and, and make it as sustainable as possible for people. Very good. So basically you've morphed more into the meal side of it, you know, recipe ideas, preparation tips, and and you went from a ebook. So you tried the membership. By the way, how much was it? I'm just curious because uh, not every business has the ability to switch on a membership and have it cranking. Like it's a hard business model to sell, I find. Yeah, I, I think, so I think other competitors were sort of around about £15 UK, whereas we went in at the higher end, I think it was like 29 And I think it was just priced too high. I also think when it was purely focused on weight loss, people like the idea of an end date, because if they are making lots of changes, they don't like it being an open-ended goal. And I think that was me. I'm not saying, of course, there are lots of memberships that do work for weight loss, 
But I think that is a sticking point is when people don't know when it'll be over, they may be more um, more resistant to, to joining something on an open-ended subscription. So I think that could have been one of the reasons. But like I said, I know there are successful weight loss memberships and this is me probably just clutching at straws and finding excuses for why Irish didn't work. No, it's, it's really hard. I mean, so much competition that I can think of several people and I follow on social media who are big PTs now and they all have their own app and their, their calculators and macro budgets and all that. And they do have recurring subscriptions. But I also know someone who charges, when you say too high, I mean, I know someone who charges $3,000 a month and they do it on a, I think it's a 16 week window. So it's a micro continuity program. It's basically, you're going to get high level professionals who really understand that they have a problem and want to fix it. And they're going to to pay the big bucks to get the personal attention and, and to have everything monitored for them and to have that safety net. So I think you went high price in low ticket land. Yeah, that's it. So, and it's a, and look, this is the thing to make low ticket work, you need a lot of volume. And I think we're going to sort of cover that with the way that you've approached it. And I was talking to a mutual friend, Jared Robinson, in a previous episode about how, um, you know, he had a stunningly low ticket program that can sustain a recurring income with volume, but with way less effort than you might have had to put into a traditional membership. Yeah, that podcast episode just pinged on my phone this morning, I think. I saw one with you and Jared. Yeah, I thought, oh, I, I didn't have time to listen to it before coming on. But yeah, Jared's, Jared's a good guy. I was hoping it would come out because today I had a phone call. Uh, I say that, that, gee, that's old fashioned. Had a Zoom call with an app developer who was telling me they're having a lot of success with people putting their content, the pre-existing content online. And uh, they're blowing up, you know, having big revenues. And, and I said, listen, I want to let you know, I have a podcast coming out today on this very subject <laughs> about turning stale content into dollars. And I don't want you to think I had this call and then ran off and recorded this episode, <laughs> right? It's, it's coming out today. And I, I said the episode number. And uh, yeah, this person was like, okay, it's, it's all cool. <laughs> yeah. But I think people are sort of switching on to this. This is, this is why I want to talk about it. Jared is on the side of someone who has an app business, the theappmatch.com, and you're on the side of, you know, you're a previous guest who was doing an older business model, the recipe books, the downloads, you've tried a membership, you're on to the next thing. So what happened for you where you th- thought, okay, I need to zig now, I need to try something else? Quite a few reasons. So with those digital recipe books, we ended up getting to making seven of them. So it became too much choice for people when they were saying, which one should I start with? And you're like, oh, well, you could do one or you could do three and so on. And we did bundle them together to incentivize buy one and get them all free. But from what you've spoken about lots of times before is if you give people less choice, like the whole AB close, it's much easier to sell than having far too many options. So that was one reason. The other was I got a book published, um, a traditional book publisher, HarperCollins, published a recipe book of mine called The Ultimate High Protein Handbook, which was new recipes and some of the old ones. And this was a beautiful book. It's lots of pictures and it looks amazing. And I felt like for people who wanted more recipes, if they'd bought this book, then sending them to download a PDF, it wasn't really the same standard. It wasn't really on brand and it was almost a bit of a regression. Also combined with the fact I had a, a lunch with a few friends of mine who are in the industry, they both had apps. They're singing the praises, saying it's amazing. The content delivery is fantastic. It's all in one place, blah, blah, blah. Jared kept on popping up on your podcast a few times. More of your podcasts were about subscription revenue. And I thought, all right, this is 
what I need to do. I need to have an app. And that's what I did. Got in touch with Jared. And it wasn't a case of repurposing stale content because the recipes, um, the, the PDFs were selling well and the recipes are nice. It was a case of just modernizing and putting them all into an app so people can search through them. That was a big thing rather than having to try and open a different document and find what they wanted. They can filter by the recipes. They can get it on iPad, on their phone. They can easily print. It's subscription because it's, you know, we do a monthly or annual subscription to get most of the recipes. You know, there's about 50 free ones, but if you want all 300, you join what we call the recipe club. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute no brainer. And I, I knew been working on the app for several months and I knew I was just, I just wanted the launch date to happen because I, I just, I felt, I never felt, it was one of the things I felt the most convinced about was going to be the right thing. I know I hadn't really tested the concept or anything, but I just, I knew, I thought the pricing, how it looks, this will do well. And I was itching for the end of August to come uh, for the, to do the launch. And uh, yeah, it, it did everything I wanted, to be honest. It's, the launch was amazing. The app looks great. The feedback is, you know, it's it's five-star review after five-star review. People are saying, oh my God, finally, I wish you'd done this before. And I said, I know, but the you know, the opportunity never presented itself. And yeah, it's, it's I just love it. And that everyone, the main thing though, is the customer loves it. And that's what's most important. Well, I think it's probably critical for its survival. So we're talking about the Food for Fitness app. Yes. Uh, be interesting to sort of get a bit of a breakdown of how it works. So we now know why you chose an app. You've tried the other things. It made sense and you wanted a good content delivery vehicle for your existing content. I like how you put that. It was all working, but you just wanted to make it easier to consume. You've got a high usability factor there for your audience. How did you choose pricing and your launch strategy? So pricing was a case of looking at what uh, competitors were doing. And keeping it low ticket. So it was free with a premium upgrade. Correct. It's free to download uh, and there's 50 recipes on it already. So you can see it. And that, that's another thing I really love about it is you can see all the, the full amount of content. You can see it. It's just, you know, grayed out or locked. It's not a case of somebody saying, you know, when you buy some products, oh, what's in the meal plan? Does it have this and this? Or what's included? Does it include a workout? You can see everything there more or less, which was a huge advantage. But Yes, it's uh, free to download and then monthly is uh, £3.99 or $7.65 Australian. And it's uh, like $4 or $5 US? Yeah. And then we do an annual of $29.99 UK. So you have 57 Australian. It's about, was that 40 US dollars? Yeah. But we did a launch offer. And the launch offer, the monthly price was the same, but the one-time, legitimate one-time launch offer. So I said, if you join an annual, this will be the price you pay. And after the launch week is over, the annual price will go up. And so when we did the launch, we had, and I don't mind sharing these numbers just now, we had 3,200 people sign up to a subscription within the first week. And of that, 3,000 of them took the annual offer. Wow. And so you're a bit surprised? My take on would be envy listening to it. If you incentivize it and give a, a legitimate, really good offer, then people were, will hopefully take you up on it. And that's what, um, what that people who downloaded that did anyway. Did that put you in the black? Like it put you ahead in profit on that event? Uh, yeah, it, it put me it straight into profit initially. And it was fantastic. And also knowing as well that every... September, assuming, you know, there will be churn and so on. There will be 
a decent um, bump, you know, payday happening every September, hopefully. Your anniversary, the launch anniversary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When people renew. What numbers are you anticipating for that? To, well, at the moment, the churn rate is uh, at just 2%. Okay. And growth is is bigger than that. We're, um, we're sitting since the launch a couple of months ago. There's another 600-odd subscribers from that date. So it is continually going up, which is great. So yeah, that's just keep them there. And one of the things, James, which we've done is, you know, people say, well, why would I pay a subscription? What's, we need to keep giving them something to stick around is the, um, each month we do a themed recipe pack. So there is new content to subscribers every month. It's five new recipes. List first month we did Spanish kitchen fiesta. And now this is Italian secrets and so on. So it's, there is new content there. It's not just, you know, you're not just paying to access the same stuff. And so few questions around that. So just back to the question about annual renewal. Based on your monthly churn, I would guess you're probably going to get in excess of 65% of those people renew. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd be looking for a 50% renewal on an annual program for a regular membership, but a 2% churn is pretty low. If it was 5%, you'd be looking at 40% renewing, 5% per month. But 2% is great. It's, that's a really good sign. It's an indicator that whatever you're delivering, those recipe packs on an ongoing basis are good. What's involved for you? Do you have to plan the recipe and do you photograph it or do you put any video content in there? Is it stills? How does it work in terms of formatting? Yeah, so everything is is got all the photos and yeah, constantly my, my cooking new stuff almost every single day during the week. Sometimes my wife and kids think, "Can we not just have a pizza?" I'm like, no, sorry, we've got to cook. Uh, you know, this Irish stew needs done tonight, and tomorrow we're off to Lebanon to do something. And it's yeah, it's very varied in the house. But I'm also this year I've been really working on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I've, I don't know, you can't really see it, but I'm talking to you in my office, but the other end of my office there is a fake kitchen set up. And if I put the lights on, you'd see it better, but fake kitchen in there for filming YouTube. So those new recipes that come out each month uh, of the five of them, I film one of them for YouTube and it's there as a, like a, almost like a little sale. And say, this is a new recipe from the brand new recipe pack, which you can download in the app. Here's the link. And then it shows the full recipe. And obviously we're picking really tasty ones to encourage people to, to hopefully sign up and, and get more of them. And what's the channel called on YouTube? Just if you just, again, most of the stuff is if you search my name, Scott Bapti or food for fitness. Um, so it's just, yeah, Scott Bapti's food for fitness on YouTube and you'll, you'll see them there. But that's, again, similar to you, talked about YouTube, and a lot of people are saying YouTube is a platform that they're really... It's 100%. Yeah, getting down on, especially because one of the things I find on my videos from YouTube, a lot of the uh, reach is coming from Google search. So Google is favorably listing the results in a Google search when people are searching for that recipe, which is... It doesn't happen on Facebook. Oh, and they last a long time. Like I've been cooking a chili con carne that is on the BBC Good Food Guide. And I, when I ask my tablet in the kitchen to look, at, look up the recipe, it's always finding it. It's always ranked at the top. That yeah. If you get a good YouTube video, you're going to get forever traffic. And yeah. you keep driving them into the app and they keep turning into subscribers. This is, a, this is basically a... A bill payer now. This will this will provide for the family, and it can, it's growable. I guess you must be pretty excited about what happens next. Yeah, it's it is exciting, and and from all again everything that you've talked about, and most of your listeners will probably be trying to do the same or already have the, do the same already. Is that 
safety net of having that recurring system there. Like I know next month that if churn stays where it is and where growth stays where it is, I won't be making less on it. I'll be making more each month. And it's not a case of, mm. do I need to do a launch? Of what's the new product? It's just keep delivering and keep improving, giving them new recipes and so on. And it just allows you to forecast things and just, yeah, psychologically, it's a huge, huge relief. I mean, this, at the moment, we're still talking relatively low numbers in terms of, of revenue and the amount of people that are on it. But it's proven to work and I, it's just a case of, of scaling. And there are obviously still other revenue streams coming in. It's not like you can just turn everything off and do this. But it's, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, what, what will it be like in a year? What will the membership be like? Because those numbers from the launch were far higher than I predicted. Um, I didn't think that that many people would, would join up, which is, yeah, from it's always the, it's better compared to, you know, falling short of a launch target. This was greatly exceeded it which was fantastic it looks like you're wearing an aura ring there yes i am wearing one good spy i uh, i actually just released the blog about it yesterday um and for sleep tracking it's phenomenal yeah i really really love it i was just looking at my sleep here i got like um it's, you probably can't see it's focusing but i can't yeah it's not fo- oh there we go oh yeah you've got one too good 92 percent sleep right wow so i've never had a sleep score in the 90s so i'm jealous of that a lot of my clients are in the 90s my activity lately has been, I actually cracked 100% two days in a row going for a surf. My, my friend Dean Jackson, he emailed me, he goes, well, that one's going straight to the pool room. <laughs> and I said, yeah, like, it was almost accidental. I'm like walking through the national park and then surfing in these most incredible waves and then walking back and I've managed to rack up 22,000 steps. So my point is since 2008, when I quit my job, I've been enjoying recurring income. There's never been a month since the beginning of my membership in the first month of 2009 where I haven't had predictable income coming the next month. And I do believe it helps me sleep better at night. Yeah. It is the single greatest magical secret, maybe other than compound interest, right, is having (laughs) recurring income in the mix. And what we're hearing today is if you've got a product or service that is working okay, in other modalities, it might be worth considering delivery via an app. In my case, I'm doing my mentoring via an app through my Click platform, and that's KLEQ. You have to have an app in the hands of your client. That's like, for me, it's a non-negotiable. What I have noticed is by having that app upgrade, it's a 40% better retention. People stay so much longer if they can access you because the little, you know, little icon there on the phone is, is gold. So I'm excited for what's happening for you. But I am also curious, like you got a better launch result than what you expected. How did you communicate this thing coming and how big was the database and what was your sequencing? Did you have a protocol around letting people know about it? Yeah. So unsurprisingly, I used the Jeff Walker launch approach, (laughs) but being a stereotypical Scotsman, I didn't pay for the whole program. I'm just using his 10, 10 pound book off Amazon. But yeah, I, initially I sent out the, I did some teasers for maybe about a month and a half out saying, don't want to be that guy, but something big is coming and I think you'll like it. And there is some people, even just from that one line, replied saying an app. I thought, oh my, this is freaky. How do you know? But that was, that was a good sign. And then there's a thing that in the launch book that he says, if you can do a survey 
but the the and the email out a survey question saying what are you for example most looking forward to from such and such and i said if i was to release an app which features would you be most interested in and all the answers were features that were coming and then the other option is e all of the above and it makes people feel like they're taking part and are involved in the design process and the response to that email was incredible and then for the actual launch itself we released three of videos of showcasing the new recipes from the app because we launched it with all the existing ones I said in the, the PDFs, which we then you know took offline, um, but with 20 brand new ones. So there are new recipes for the following. Uh, did videos, sent an email every day over the course of a week with a mixture of sending them directly to that recipe and also explaining more about the app, the benefits, and again, stressing the offer and the scarcity and being like, this is a real offer. We'll end on Sunday. Join up now. You'll never see it this low again. Did organic Facebook and Instagram again, videos showing the recipes and also uh, Facebook ads using a mixture of the recipes itself screenshots of me, you know, holding a phone with the app on it and pointing to it. And yeah, it was really worked really well, but most of the the sales came from email. And like unsurprisingly for most people, email is still in 2023. Probably heard me talking about email as well. (laughs) Probably once or twice. Yeah. For me has always been the best sales mechanism. Right. So email, YouTube apps, they're all critical And look, I've been around long enough to see all the trends and changes, right? But those things at at the moment are are solid. Recurring subscription income, tick, email, it's the easiest way to communicate change or a new way of delivering your product or service, tick. YouTube, it's such a solid way to get new clients and I'm putting a lot of effort into that now. And I've got so much content, but a lot of it's not been very good compared to what other people are producing and I'm making an effort to improve. Same as I've just done with my mindset, my physical, it's all going through upgrades at this stage in life. And it's all because we have to evolve and innovate. And I think there'll be two categories in the future. It's people who have an app that clients can use on their phone and people who don't. And I'd want to be in the camp of people who have the app there to make it easy for people to access you and your products or services. And I imagine most of your marketing now is centered around bringing people into the app where you can communicate to them? Yeah, we took off loads of, I mean, for example, on the sales page in the website, there's no longer seven individual PDFs that people could choose from. It was just, if you want recipes, you download the app yep. or you buy my book on Amazon. And same with the lead magnets. We still, there still are some lead magnets around about, which is getting people to download a PDF with you know, 10 sample recipes, and then they'll go into the automation to then sell them onto the app. But that's just another degree of friction. First, you have to get them to click on that opt-in, put their email address in, actually open the email, uh, read the email, click the link to download that. Whereas now on the website, rather than having pop-ups for downloading eBooks and freebies, it's just download the app straight away because they can go on it they can see the blurb on that. App Store or Google, download it and it's straight away. It's free and they're getting 50 recipes already that they can start cooking. And then, like I said before, they can see all the gated content. They just can't get the full method. So, yeah, so much, same with the emails as well. They send out, so I'm filming two recipes a week for YouTube. When we send them out in an email, there's a PS, by the way, you'll find this recipe in the app. Here's the link. And then there's, you know, doing some of the general sales story style emails about some random happening and making a metaphor for why you should download the app 
But yeah, that's it's the main focus at the moment, uh, just because people are really liking it. It's getting the highest feedback out of pretty much everything that I've that I've ever released before. And like I said, all the benefits from subscription revenue. So is your main job now being a chef and a videographer? Uh, yeah, so it has been now for, for quite a while. We, yeah, I'm filming, either filming the recipes or coming up with the recipes because there's a new recipe book coming out next year and they've got to submit everything by January. So it's manic mode at the moment for that. And then I've still got to film YouTube and yeah. So you basically you've become a creator who has a monetization vehicle. Correct. Yes. It's no longer, and I, I sound like a James Schramko fanboy, but you've done the thing like built out the, the team. So I've got, you know, I'm trying to, rather than the whole, how do I do it? Who can I get to do it for me? Which has been a, a real beneficial thing for me in terms of freeing up time and allowing me to, again, create the recipes and cook them as opposed to scheduling Facebook posts. Yeah. Look, I'll take it. Uh, and you've been around for a long time now, absorbing that and the, the fact is i'm still here as well right so i'm in it for the long haul my goal is someone listening to this episode will still be getting served in 10 years from now you know i want to stay current and fresh and you're right on on it a couple of other questions come to mind how do you collect the money is it inside the platform or are you using an external collection yeah, so that's again another huge advantage is Apple collect the money for me or Google collects the money for me mm-hmm. and they handle disputes, they'll handle refunds. If someone's payment fails, they do it. And yes, you do have to pay the fee, but it's you know below a million, uh, it's 15%, which for taking off that that burden, removing any headaches, I think it's completely worth it. Mm. And they handle all the VAT for you. So again, it's easier for an accountant to do because they're not having to deal with VAT across, you know, over a hundred odd countries. And it's just paid straight into your account. So that is, and and again, people are so familiar with that double tap, show your face to your phone payment system. It's frictionless and it's very easy for them to do and there's high levels of trust. And I think that's why the conversion rate is pretty high on it. So yeah, that's, Answers that the first question. Yeah, whatever you're losing in percentage, you're gaining in lack of friction and it is a hassle if you have to go your own way. And it's actually a lower percentage than I expected it would be. People don't realise, but if you're not in America and you're selling to that country, for example, you're going to be paying a high merchant rate to deal with the conversions and the, and different currencies. So it's great they're handling all that. It's a lot like when you're selling a book on Amazon, you just get the money in your account, right? Yeah. But the other thing with the, the app is it, it shows the currency in that person's national currency themselves, which again, hugely removes friction. So they don't go, how much is this in you know whatever currency? It's just there for them. It just makes sense. So the, the other question was, you know, we haven't really tackled the tech side. We've talked about from the user's perspective and we've talked about from the creator's perspective, like what you have to put into the app. But how did you choose an app and what was that process? You did mention you spoke to Jared at some point. How do you do it? Like someone's like, okay, yeah, I'm sold. Scott, I think this is what you've done. I want to do for my piano teaching business or whatever. But what are the steps? Well, that was me. What you described after that chat with two of my friends who had an app, I was sold on it straight away. So hopefully (laughs) some people will be sold on this. But so I think one of the things that maybe puts a lot of people off doing an app, and I was certainly one of them, was the stories you hear about the cost of an app and you always these costs associated with it are normally from custom development and some of the figures are unbelievable well normally hundreds of thousands 
yeah. hundreds of thousands, yeah. which for most people aren't there. It's just not, it's not going to be feasible. And again, horror stories of it's being would X amount and deliver on this date. And it just, because of integrations in tech, it just takes months and months and months longer and the price goes up. So that's why I thought, no, this isn't for me. And then I kept hearing Jack on your podcast and all right, I'll have a chat with him and just see. But initially I went into it thinking, oh, this is again, it's going to cost an absolute fortune. And I couldn't believe how reasonable it was. And I thought it was an absolute no brainer to join up to it. Um, because just so people don't think, it, just to explain what Jared has, it's not a custom development. It's essentially drag and drop. So it's almost like a click funnels type thing for an app. You pick the templates and you check, set the fonts and the colors and so on. And then you just fill it with content. So there are obviously some limitations with, if you want specific technical things, like for me, for example, just now, a great benefit would be if people could send the recipe straight into their food diary, you know, if they just click to, but that's like a custom development, which can't be done on this platform, but there's so many other benefits to it. It still makes way more sense to do it this way than doing a custom development. Well, you're also in the situation where you have an app right now and it's working for you. So if you wanted to do something more complicated later, you'd have so much more confidence. You'd have a, an audience. 100%. And that's what we've done. Yeah. Now, we've got this list of little things that people have said, oh, it'd be great if you could do this. So I've just added them to a list. And it's every single app. This is, uh, you know, again, the people I speak to in apps, they say the number one thing that always comes up is that their customers' customers are nagging them for feature requests. The customers are always going to ask for all these things and it might only be suitable for just them. Then there'll be some things that are actually valid but the platform can't do. And there has to be a cutoff. It's like the platform that I use for my membership. I've been lucky to have such a good relationship with the developer that I've been able to morph it my way over the years. <laughs> but it also suits what I'm asking my clients to do because I built it around what I need it to do. There might be one or two things that would be good for one or two of the people to do that might not make it into the cut now or, or later. But over time, if enough core users want something, often the platforms will build in that feature. So in my membership, for example, people can leave me voice messages. That was something they wanted and they liked their Voxer or whatever platform they were using. Now my mentor people can just voice message me anytime they want. It's all built in. So that came because other people wanted that too. And so over time it will happen. But there's a real trade-off between... Having it now at a very low cost and getting up and running and building confidence and momentum down the track, you can do whatever you want. And you can go and get a $200,000 app by all means, but you'll know exactly what you want by then. And you'll have an audience who are ready to go for it. Yeah. And you'd already have existing momentum. So it would be a, a much more mitigated risk. Yeah. I think also that one of the benefits of this is the simplicity and there isn't so much information that the person goes on and they, well, hang on, I've got to use this calculator and should I match it with this meal plan and, um, you know, filter by exact amount of fiber. Oh, but hang on this too. You know, it's, it's really straightforward to use. You go into the app, you can see categories like chicken or meat or vegetarian and so on. And then you just see the recipes, method, macros, and so on in a video. And it is straightforward. And I think some people think, they, they might not go, you know, create an app because they don't have enough content or whatever they would do is not as advanced as your, mm. whatever the market leader is. But again, you're not trying to compete with them. You're just trying to essentially rebrand your stuff and make it better for your customers who've already shown that they like the stuff they do, you do. Hence, they are your customer. 
that's the important thing. It's like when I use something like my fitness pal, I think there must be a significant resource involved in making something like that. I wouldn't go and make something like that for myself because it's not my market and I don't really understand it. But as a consumer, it's been easy to use. But there will be people who have their own audience. I think what we're talking about here is perfect for people who have their own audience, who already have products or services and want to wrap it all in a really highly usable recurring subscription platform or vehicle. And that's been super of you to share with us. And I'm excited that the launch went better than you thought. And I'm excited that your churn is so low. And I'm wondering also if you adopt, because it'd be really nice having meal time over there at your, your place. You could look at the theme of the week. The food must be off the charts. Um, yeah, my wife does say she feels very fortunate that what she gets for dinner. Um, but you can see for yourself. I'll send you. So my book just actually came out in Australia in October, and I'll get them. I'll send you a copy because there's a, a chili recipe in it that I'd be interested to see how it competes with the one that you do at the moment. Well, you're up against some pretty stiff competition, but I, I like your chances. We'll, uh, we'll see, see what happens. Actually, I spend a great amount of time preparing food. It's like I'm very interested in food. I'm really interested in the getting it right. And I also, because I have a budget, I can't waste it. I've got to get it dialed right. The way that I'm yeah. achieving what I'm achieving has worked well for me. And I never thought I'd be that person. I never, never even never was interested in having a food budget or whatever, but turns out it suits me. And I like it. So if I can optimize that, I will. I'm looking forward to, to I'll, I'll share it on socials when I get the book. I'll put a link to it. And uh, thanks. Scott, thanks so much for sharing. I don't, you, you don't have to do this, but one of the joys of having a podcast is to document change with guests. And, uh, you know, you've come a long way since July 2015 and still in great shape, but helping people in a new modern way. And uh, I think it's going to go well for you. And I think we might have a future episode because it's, it's going to continue to get interesting. Maybe I'll see if I can challenge you with this one. Maybe you can come back and talk about your stratospheric YouTube channel growth or something because that, <laughs> that will be on topic as well. Well, that's the one that I'm, that's the, the weakest of my platform. So on Facebook, there's like 220,000 followers. YouTube, there's only 20,000 at the moment. So I'm just, if I can get even a fraction of them off Facebook onto YouTube, then that would be great. But no, thank you. Thank you for having me. But thanks for everything you've done. Because again, like we talked about through this episode, a lot of the tactics I did implement are things that I got directly from you. And a funny thing, story, when I first came across you, I didn't tell anyone else because this guy is a gold mine, and I, I didn't want to share Gene Schramko <laughs> with other people. I wanted to keep those nuggets for myself. But now, when a lot of people are saying, "Oh, you're asking me some business advice," and so I'm like, "Just go and listen to James, buy the book, and that whole uh, get rid of the the grind set, uh, and just try and work less, make more." And that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And I appreciate all the info you've put out. That's so kind. You know, I've never heard that phrase, the grind set. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to use that. That's a good one. Thank you. All right. Well, this is episode 1047. I do recommend uh, we go and check out the Food for Fitness app. I'll be looking it up as soon as I hang up. I didn't want to get on there and, and spoil my ability to ask you curious questions because I know most people wouldn't already have the app and now they're going to get it. So Let's hope your subscriptions doubles overnight. That would be amazing. And thanks so much. We'll speak to you in a future episode, Scott. Thanks, James. This is James Schramko.